we are on our third week of our, our Advent celebration. Uh, if you don't know, Advent is a word which uh, really is designed to get us to look forward. It's about, it's about celebrating somebody special or something important that is coming right around the corner. And so we celebrate Advent uh, on the way to Christmas because we want to celebrate the coming of the Savior of the world. The good news for us is that we're on the other side of this moment in history, right? We already know. Uh, we know that he has come. We know that he has fulfilled the work. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to be, I'm going to ask you be, uh, uh, to talk back at me a little bit today, okay? And there's a reason for that. It's because today, like Sam told us, today is, uh, he lit the third candle. You might have noticed it's a different color. It's pink or, uh, if, you, if, if you prefer, rose. Um, the other candles, the other candles have been purple, uh, and then we'll light a, a white candle at our candlelight uh, service, our Christmas Eve service, which are my favorite gatherings of the entire year. Uh, so that'll be on Christmas Eve. Make sure you join us for that as we complete our Advent wreath and our candle lighting together. Uh, but Sam lit the, the candle, and he said this was the joy candle. Uh, it's also the shepherd's candle, which is why he read about the shepherds and, and prayed for us to have the same kind of heart as the shepherds have. Uh, but today I want you to be a little bit loud for me. I want you to talk back a little bit because I want you to help me exemplify uh, exactly what it means to be a person of joy as we have lit the joy candle, the, the shepherd's candle. Now, I, I think it's important for us to understand before we go further uh, in, our, in our message today. So far, we've, written, uh, we've, we've lit the prophet's candle, which symbolizes our hope in a coming Messiah. We've lit the Bethlehem candle, which represents faith and preparation. And then today, as we light the shepherd's candle, which represents joy, I thought it would be important for you just to hear a quick thought on joy and what it is so that you can understand what I'm, what I'm saying, that, that joy is a specific thing. It's actually distinct from happiness. Uh, happiness is an emotion that you feel in a moment based on circumstances, right? If I were to give you $100 right now, you would feel happiness. I'm not going to do that, but it's just if, if I were to do that, that's the emotion you were probably going to feel if that was not just a good illustration. Uh, joy is the idea that you aren't just being given a thing, but you have something already, and it's not fleeting like a circumstance, right? So happiness is based on your circumstance. So we, we feel happiness in a moment, but we have joy in every moment. Joy actually kind of becomes like an identity marker for us. It's, it's almost like you got a, like a tattoo, and it's not going away for the rest of your life. And that tattoo is the joy of the Lord, the joy of your salvation. Now, how, whatever you feel about tattoos, I, I mean, you might, <laughs> surprise, we're okay. We're, we're, maybe, that's, maybe you're uncomfortable with that illustration. Um, but imagine that God would mark you with something for the rest of your life. Some of the, like the young people in the room were like, yeah, I'm totally cool with this illustration. Some of the older folks were like, I don't know about that illustration. Um, just for the record, the Bible says that you are tattooed onto Christ's arm, your name. He's got you tattooed onto him. He loves you that much. I don't know why I felt the need to justify that illustration so strong. <laughs> Let's read the Bible. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, Luke, Luke chapter 2, in, in what Sam read to us in the New Living Translation, in fact, we'll put this up on the screen, uh, when it says that night, we begin this story, this portion of this story, uh, by looking at the shepherds on that night. Now, just for context, Luke is a guy who's very particular about details. He likes to make sure that we know the moment we're in. He, he took time to place this story in a historical context. So when, Jesus, when, when Luke tells us uh, details about, about Jesus' birth, he's telling us those details on purpose. That'll come back into play in just a, a little bit today. Uh, but when, when Luke is saying that night, he's talking about a historical moment. He's talking about the night Jesus was born. On that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, doing their job. When suddenly, and by the way, you'll remember uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were starting our series through this Advent uh, reflection, we, I had told you that this was a moment that was years and years, generations in the waiting before this moment would come. And one of the things I also told you a couple of weeks ago was that there was this period of about 400 years that we would call the intertestamental period, the, the period of, of history between the, what we know as the Old Testament and what we know as the New Testament, where, Jesus, where, where God was not speaking to his people. There were no new prophetic words or prompts. Everything that he said in the Old Testament, he was done. And part of that was because his people were just wiling out, doing their own thing. And he was kind of like, I'm going to let you do your thing for a while and then I'll, I'll, I'm going to let you simmer, and then I will come with the Savior in a little while. And so I say all of that because I want you to appreciate when the Bible, especially in the New Testament, about Jesus says things like suddenly. Because there's kind of a, of, a, of a duality to the suddenly. For the shepherds, they're just out there, you know, doing their thing, and then boom, suddenly there was an angel. But in historical context, it was, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And we've been waiting so long that we are beginning to think that maybe this is never going to happen. Maybe some of us are beginning to lose hope that it will ever happen. Certainly isn't going to happen in our lifetime. And then suddenly, God is doing a thing. It's, it's almost humorous when God says suddenly after a 400-year, after a 2,000-year wait that God would do something suddenly, Right? Uh, maybe you can uh, be praying for God to suddenly do something in your life. But I, I just think it's, it's interesting to mark the moment that we're in in human history. It is suddenly for the shepherds. Uh, I don't know that it's suddenly. This isn't a new idea that God had. He's been, he's been planning this all along. So suddenly an angel of the Lord appears among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were, appropriate human response, terrified. But the angel reassured them, which is what angels tend to do. They, they see a terrified human, and they go, hey, don't, don't be afraid, the angel says. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, laying in a manger. Now, this is, this is like classic Christmas story, right? This is the stuff that we always hear, like in the, in the Charlie Brown uh, Christmas stories. We're always thinking of like Linus quoting scripture at us uh, in the play. And, and it's just interesting to me 
who this moment of this story is about. So I, I want to look at the shepherds and just a few different uh, things about the shepherds with you today as we think about the joy that we're invited into in this story. And so as we think about the shepherds, we take a few moments to, to think about them. Hopefully as we do that, we can learn a few things about how we can enter into this Jesus story. Let's begin by thinking about the shepherd's status. Uh, what is your status in the world? It's based on, like in, in 2021, status is based on uh, family life. It's based on how much money you have in the bank and how, uh, the house that you live in and, and the job that you do. And for the shepherds, their status was actually very similarly based on the job that they were doing. Status, by the way, is a really interesting theme throughout the entire story of Jesus' birth. Who gets recognized with having high status and whose earthly status is kind of ignored in this story is really interesting. But it's important for us to notice that Jesus comes as a lowly baby. So he's making a status claim here. He's making a really interesting status statement. I'm coming as, a, as an innocent, helpless baby. Born in, remember we talked about this recently, not in a barn, but in a house in Bethlehem during a census to become the king of the world. And what we know about Jesus in retrospect, and, and actually prophetically they knew about this Jesus, about the Messiah as well, is that Jesus wasn't just coming to become the king of the world, but he was coming as a baby as the king of the world. Interesting how he chose to package himself though. And interesting there as we think about status and about the shepherd's status, that the first people that are told of the arrival of a lowly baby who is and would become the king of the world are the lowest status citizens in that community. Shepherds during Joseph and Mary's day were, were pretty low on the social ladder. Right? Think about the, the stinky, lowly job in, in our modern society. I was trying to think of one, and, and I want to be careful because I don't want to like be disparaging of the human beings who have great value who do these jobs, but I was thinking of, like, you know the people at the, like, somebody has to work at the landfill, right? Have you ever brought, have you ever brought uh, your trash to the landfill? Have you ever thought about the people that, whose job it is to spend their entire day on top of the landfill? And when you go, if you've ever had that experience, you, when you go, you're trying to think, how fast can I get off of this pile of stink? And there are people who earn money working there, right? We should be thankful for the people who do that job that's probably not the world's most fun job. And there are people who do that job. And, and, and there are even people, I've been to the landfill, there are people who do that job with a smile on their face. Right? Thank God for these people. Okay. Thank God for the people who work at those recycling uh, receptacle places outside of your grocery store. Right? That's a sticky job. And there are people who do that job. Some of the nicest people I've ever encountered in the world are recycling guys, right? So this might be one way that we could think about a modern understanding of the shepherd. 
There was a time when the shepherd would have been uh, great status in society, but as people began to settle in communities, the shepherd was kind of pushed out of the town onto the outskirts, and his social status went right along with his physical presence in the middle of community. And so by the time Joseph and Mary are on the scene, by the time Jesus is born, uh, being a shepherd had lost all of its social status. It was a stinky job. And these people would not have been invited to the, the festive galas or certainly wouldn't have been given any kind of social respect. Their opinion wouldn't have mattered very much to the rest of the people in the town. We know you're doing a job that's kind of important, but if you could keep it over there, we would very much appreciate that. So the question is, if these angels are delivering the world's most important news, like the most important news in all of human history, why would you send this message to such unimportant people? I mean, surely the angel left heaven and his GPS glitched and he shows up in a field. It was supposed to be a palace, but he's just suddenly in a field and he's just like, I I'm here, I guess. I guess you're it, shepherds. So here's the news. It wasn't like that at all, was it? But you could imagine, imagine, I mean, being the shepherd, if you're aware of the, the global historical consequence of the message that you're receiving, it would be like if a, a Secret Service agent knocks on your door, they don't go to any other door in the entire city, and they say, we just want you to know the president has arrived in Lancaster, California. Please be prepared. They don't go tell anyone else, and you're thinking, this is really nice news to know. I feel honored that I know this news. You know, get a special invitation to come and meet, have a cup of coffee with the president. Uh, politics aside, you probably are going to want to receive an invitation to have coffee with a very important person. The Queen of England walks into town. They only tell you. And you're thinking, great news, but why me? Why wouldn't you tell the mayor? Why wouldn't you tell, like, you're not even going to tell, like, the local police so that they could protect this very special person? Nope, just you. You're the only one that finds out. You would think, if I was God, and I were going to direct angels to deliver history's most important message, that I would not send it to shepherds. I would send this word to the locally respected prophet to the local rabbi, to, to somebody with clout so that people would hear the message. The king, the Messiah has arrived. No, I'm going to send it to the people whose opinion doesn't get a say. Who, who, don't, who don't get, nobody follows their Instagram account. Nobody reads their tweets. Do you read anybody's tweets anymore? I mean, that illustration's outdated. But it turns out that God knows exactly what he's doing, right? We serve the God who always has a plan. And he's always on plan. He's always on mission. I think that as we look historically, when we place this moment into the context of Scripture and all of what God's plan actually is, I think that we could say that we know that God sent this message through an angel to these shepherds for at least two Reasons. I think there was prophetic significance in the shepherds being the only ones who got the angel message that night. I think, I think we could say that it was significant that shepherds received this message because shepherds, being a shepherd is one of the clearest metaphors in all of Scripture. The concept of 
of shepherd and sheep relationship is referenced more than 500 times in Scripture. Sheep are mentioned more than any other animal. And Jesus calls us sheep. So Jesus actually grows up to be the one that we call the good shepherd. He's he's the shepherd of us, the flock. We are the sheep. The good shepherd was to be worshipped by lowly shepherds to signify his rank among them. Just like the magi were later invited to the story to signify Jesus' rank among the royal and the wise. He was also signified among the shepherds, the lowly and the humble. So I think it also, though, has communal significance, meaning the, the significance of what it means to be a part of a community. See, the shepherds being invited means that everyone is welcomed in God's kingdom. This is the first indication that there is no class system among those invited to worship the King of Kings. This is a theme for Jesus as he goes throughout his ministry. In fact, there's a story later on when a woman comes up to Jesus when he's now an adult and he's in his public ministry. And a woman comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, would you bless me? And and he kind of puts her off and he says, no, 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 hold on. I've only come to serve a meal for the Jews, for God's elite people. And this woman goes, but even the dogs get to eat the scraps that fall off the table. And Jesus looks at her and says, your faith, like he praises her faith being in the right place, that she knew what was really going on, that Jesus was serving a meal that was so bountiful that it would have an overflow from just the chosen people of Israel, that it would expand out to people who were on the outskirts, like, like this woman who, who challenged Jesus on, no, the, ta- the, meal is, the blessing is not just for the table, it's an overflowing meal. She knew something, and Jesus affirmed that she was right, and Jesus set the tone for this being uh, uh, his entire ministry and his entire purpose to expand the kingdom out beyond uh, just the the small inner circle or those with high status by starting the story by giving a VIP invitation and status to the lowest people in society who were pushed out. Yeah, they they represented his role as a shepherd, but they also uh, invite us to be welcomed in because everybody gets welcomed in. Everybody gets a seat at the table. By the time Jesus was done, he didn't just say the Gentiles or the non-Jews get the crumbs. He says everyone gets a seat at the feast table of the Lord. Amen? So the shepherd received this message because the lowest people, the nobodies, belong at the table with Jesus, right along with the royals and the wise, the presidents and the queens. The shepherds are important precisely because they are so very not important. That's what makes them matter in the story. In fact, what's beautiful is that if you read this story all the way to the end of it, if you go down to to verse 20, you actually find that their cameo ends with them returning to the fields. And then we never hear anything about them again. None of these guys write a book. None of them start a, a, a shepherd in the way of Jesus seminary. None of them become rabbis. None of them become anything other than shepherds. They start the story as outsiders in obscurity. And that's actually exactly how they end this story. No book is named after any of them. No historian ever records a single even guess 
at even one of these shepherds' names. We don't even know how many there were. We don't know their ages. We know nothing about them. Except just by virtue of the fact that they were shepherds, we know what they did, and we know that there was at least more than one because Luke pluralizes the term. That's it. That's all we know. They're, they're nobodies. And so we light the third candle of Advent, the shepherd's candle, the joy candle, to remind ourselves that no matter how insignificant we feel that we are, we also get invited. That the good news of Jesus is for everyone. Quite simply, as one of our core values here at Life Church goes, we all belong. Right? Everybody gets a seat at the table. Everybody gets invited. No matter where you're at on your journey of your feelings about who Jesus is and who God is right now and your story, your story about the Christmas story, your feelings about that and your relationship to that, no matter where you are, you belong. God invites and welcomes you. And so if you're feeling too filthy to be in God's presence today, the shepherds would look at you and go, you and me both. Same, same team. I feel exactly the same way, and yet I got a VIP invitation into the very presence of the King of Kings. Nobody else got this invitation in town except for me, and the shepherds would look at you and say, now you get this invitation as well. It doesn't matter how filthy you think that you are. We experience the joy of the Lord, and we light the joy candle because we get the VIP invitation of Jesus to come into his presence and worship the King of Kings. But the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end with just the shepherds hearing the news. They respond to it as well. So we talk about the status of the shepherds. Now I, now I want us to look for a moment at the search of the shepherds. The, the shepherds responded to what they heard. In fact, Luke continues his story by telling us that as soon as they were alone in the field, starting in verse 15, it says, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Remember, they're outside of the town. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So, Verse 16 tells us something about how they searched. They hurried. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby laying in the manger. Now, it's interesting to me as you try to figure out how this plays out. I, I'm trying to think of this story as like, what, what does the movie look like as it plays out in my mind? How does this event actually unfold? It's interesting that there is no mention that the angels told the shepherds exactly where Jesus was, right? The angel doesn't, doesn't go, okay, so the address of the house where they're staying is, right? Doesn't say that. Hey, if you would just find the Starbucks and turn left, they're going to be right there, right? It's interesting, by the way, that we actually have in our minds that, oh, well, they'll just, find, they'll just follow the star, like the Magi did, right? That's how, actually how most of us play it out in the Hollywood version of this moment. There was a star floating over the house. There's no record in this story that the shepherds saw a star. They saw angels. And it says they hurried to Bethlehem and found Joseph and Mary. I just think it's interesting that they were told they would find a baby in a manger, which is unique in itself, but they were never told the address. So this actually raises the question, how in the world did they find Jesus? I wonder if they actually were the ones. We, we often think that Joseph and Mary knocked on every door 
in town until they found a place to be. But we learned recently that that's not actually what happened, that Joseph was visiting family for the census. But I, I think it's more likely that, that the shepherds might have actually been the ones to knock on multiple doors in town. Hey, do you have a baby in here? I mean, it's a weird question. Maybe they were just like, let's just go around town and listen for the cries of a child, right? Let's just go, let's just go, let's be creepy and just peek in the windows of every house and see who's, who's just having a nice calm night and who's caring for a baby in a manger, right? It's at one point, Brian comes over, he's like, guys, I found a baby, and they're, they're like, cool, Brian, is... Is the baby in a manger? No, regular, regular crib. That's not the one we're looking for. So the search goes on, right? There's something hurried, frantic, excited about the way they are searching. Though I don't know at all if that's actually how it went. I have no idea if Brian was one of the shepherds. Probably not named Brian. But the point is that they went searching for this baby. This is such a ele- small element of the story. But like m- most moments in Scripture, particularly in Luke's Gospel, These moments are mentioned for a reason. I think it would be important for us to pause and think about the search. When the shepherds heard the news that the Messiah had been born, think about what they did. Think about what they did for a living. How good does news have to be that you leave work? How good does news have to be that you leave work when your entire job is make sure these sheep live through the night? I mean, the job of a shepherd was to guard the sheep from the wolves, from the predators, to make sure that they eat. This is the job as they are watching over their flock at night. They are watching for the predators. This news was so good that they were like, These sheep are not as important as this news. I will leave my very livelihood and risk this to go and find that. Think about that. A hurried, frantic, excited search that was so important to them that they left what mattered to find what mattered more. This reminds me of something that Jesus said years later. In Matthew 13, it's recorded like this. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything that he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Jesus goes on, he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. This is like the disciples giving up their fishing career to follow a rabbi. I mean, these were, these were not men who were, uh, who, who were educated in other fields. These were not guys who just had a MacBook with them and could handle their entrepreneurial income on the road with the Messiah. This is a different world. If you quit your job, how are you making money? How are you going to put food on the table? Some of these men that follow Jesus had families. I would venture to guess all of them had some kind of family that they were caring for. And these shepherds, much like these disciples, much like these these, uh, 
men in the parables that Jesus talks about, these shepherds would have known the price of walking off the job to go find the Savior. So it begs the question for us, doesn't it? What are we willing to leave behind for the joy of Jesus? Work? Habits? Sin? Friends who lead us in the wrong direction? People that we have allowed to shepherd our hearts away from Christ? The great news, the good news, is that there's good promise for those of us who go on the search. And, and by the way, I, I don't know if the shepherds would have known passages of Scripture like Jeremiah 29, 13 through 14, but, but we know that this is the promise. God would say, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And this is what he was saying to the people of Israel who were in captivity. But I think in we, if we put this in the context of our own captivity to sin, listen to what God says to those who search for him. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. There is something about the willingness to be to, to, to go on the reckless, abandoned search for Jesus that would, would, would guarantee us the welcome into his homeland. But are you willing? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to take the risk? We light the third candle of, of Advent to remind us of the invitation to search for Jesus, to find him and to be found in him, and then so to be blessed, to trust, Right? And, and, and by the way, all of that said, I also find it interesting that these shepherds, again, quickly returned to the fields. They went back to their livelihood. They were willing to leave Jesus to find. And certainly, I think that this tells us that God is actually not interested in us going without our needs being met. There, there is something about that. I, I, I want to be careful to, to preach a sermon where everybody walks out of Life Church today and quits their job and goes, I'm going to be a good Christian. No more money for me. I'm just trusting Jesus. Look, if Jesus tells you that, I am not telling you that. You need to be sure that Jesus told you that. Right? I don't know that I'm telling you that. I am inviting you, though, to trust Jesus, that in the search, he will bless you. But let's not forget the practical nature of how God works with us in the world because he sent these men back or they went back to their job. God does want our needs to be met. But more than that, I think it speaks to our own searching and our own living. I mean, think about what actually changes for these shepherds after this night. They had one crazy night and then nothing changes. In fact, it was... It was about 30 years later that anything changed at all. And because we never hear anything about or from these shepherds ever again, we have no idea that they were even aware of what Jesus was doing when he changed everything. So it's very possible that these shepherds lived the rest of their lives wondering if anything of significance ever happened with that little baby we met on the day he was born. I wonder if 25 years later, one of them came to work one day, 25 years 
of waiting later and wondering, you know, is it a, can I share something with you guys? Like, I have this recurring dream, and I genuinely am not sure. I feel like it was a, it's a memory. But I have this dream that I saw an angel. I'm almost embarrassed to tell you this. It's been, it's been 25 years, fellas. Am I crazy? And Brian's there. He's like, no, you're not crazy. That was real, really happened. I thought I was the only one. I thought I drank something wild that night. It really happened. But, but for at least 30 more years, nothing was different. And maybe for them for the rest of their lives. And I think that there is something important to remember in this. That there is something about holding fast to the hope and the joy that Jesus offers us. That the shepherds go back to their lives. If even in the subtlety of it, this is a lesson for us. That in the joy of receiving the message, there's also the joy of anticipating the fulfillment of all of this. That if we do good to hold on to our joy, you're going to go to work tomorrow. You're going to have Christmas over in the next couple of weeks. You're going to have family over. You're going to have that pile of gift wrap, and you're going to curse consumerism. And you're going to hope that you remembered the real reason for the season. And then you're going to go back to work. You're going to make some New Year's resolutions. And then by the 5th of January, you're going to be trying to remember what that resolution was. And you're going to go all the way through your life. And then this time next year, you're going to have another opportunity to light with us the third candle of Advent, the joy candle, and hopefully you will have held on even in the ways that it feels like between now and this time next year when we have this same conversation, if it feels like nothing has changed, we know that because Jesus has completed the work actually for us, everything has already been changed. But we wait. And we light this candle in anticipation of this same king coming a second time, and we wait, and we hold on, and in the dark nights, when we wonder if we're crazy when we think about this king, if we wonder if maybe we are just going through motions, and is this even really real? I cannot be the only person in this room who has, that, has had that wild thought go through his mind at least once. Is this, I'm not nuts, am I? Because it feels like this isn't working sometimes. And Jesus says, that's okay. I did come. I will come again. Light the candle to remember the joy and keep it burning until I come again. Right? It's an invitation to the waiting. Theologians refer to this tension as the now and the not yet nature of the kingdom that we live in. The shepherd's candle invites us into the joy of finding Jesus and then learning to return to our normal lives, which aren't supposed to really be normal anymore, but very often feel normal. And then this candle also invites us into living our lives in anticipation for the ultimate completion of the work of Jesus. Amen? So the shepherds did see something that night. It was real. They really saw it. And then they returned to their fields and to their sheep to live out the rest of their lives in obscurity. But before they returned, they, they did one other thing. So we talked about their status. We talked about, about 
uh, what did we talk about? We talked about their status. We talked about their search. And now we talked about, I lost my place in my notes, guys. Here it is. Okay. And now I want to talk to you about how they shared the news. Listen to what they did. It says, after seeing him, that's the baby Jesus, the shepherds told everyone. Now, say everyone. Okay. Think about that in the context of this story. The shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to him about this child, uh, to them about this child. And all who heard, that's, that's everyone who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. That's Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. Now, this is the part where I normally would say the shepherds became the first New Testament evangelists because they went and told everyone in town. And yet, the more I study this, the more I think about this, and the more I, I, I try to place this in the context of the story and the moment I, and, and historically and who these shepherds were, I'm not convinced that they went and told everyone in town is the right reason we would call them evangelists. If you pay close attention to the story, uh, in, in the order of the story, we see that the shepherds show up at the house where Jesus was. They found him. They immediately tell everyone what they heard from the angel. The people in the house were astonished. The, everyone who heard it was astonished at what they heard. And then it says Mary keeps these things in her heart to ponder, and then they return to their fields. Luke, who is famous for his attention to detail, does not say on the way back to the fields they told everyone that they saw. I could be wrong. This is speculation. Let me stand over here for a second. I, I think, this is, I'm telling you my opinion, I think that if Luke wanted us to know that they went house to house and told everyone, hey, we found the baby, he's the Messiah, I think he would have told us that. It's my opinion, based on the way I'm reading the Gospel of Luke, that's what I think. But if you place it in the context of the story, look at who responded to what they said. Everyone who heard it responded. And who specifically responded? Mary responded. What that tells me in the way that Luke is laying out this story is that they most likely told everyone who was in the house what they had heard. Okay, now, I want you to know, I am not saying this to deconstruct our door-to-door -door evangelism ministries. If that's something you're called to, if you're called to a door-to-door -door evangelism ministry, please don't be a weirdo when you do that. I think we turn a lot of people off when we invade their private space and tell them about Jesus who wants to welcome them into his kingdom, even if they're not ready to welcome him into their house yet. So I think we need to be careful about the way that we do. I'm just saying if you're going to go door to door and share the gospel with strangers, be wise and loving about it, right? But what if, what if we deconstruct the door to door stranger evangelism? And what if we did actually get rid of that completely? What if the lesson here is tell the people that you know about what you know? It's interesting how everything about the kingdom is relational, and we want evangelism to be anything but relational. Right? Again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with 
preaching the gospel to a stranger. If you feel so compelled by the Holy Spirit to do that, if that is your calling and that is your gifting, I recognize the irony of saying this where standing on a stage and preaching and this is going out over the internet that there's a degree of hypocrisy in me saying all of this because there's a good chance that a stranger is listening to me say this right now. So again, I'm not saying let's never do it. I'm saying what if, what if we say the first evangelism should be like the first evangelists, relational, the people you're in a house with, the people that you are in some kind of connection with, some kind of relationship with. I think, I think there's something significant about that. By, by the way, just as an aside, I, I think it probably would have gone, uh, g- gone so far to hinder the work of God's plan if if the, the shepherds would have gone around town and told literally everybody about this baby, the Messiah, because what happens historically is that Herod decides to kill all of the, the little boys under a certain age because he was so paranoid about a king coming to take over his kingdom that he had all the boys in the kingdom uh, murdered. And that's why Joseph and Mary and Jesus actually flee town and they go to Egypt for a season until Herod dies so they could be safe. And could you imagine if all of a sudden the Roman soldiers show up at every house in Bethlehem and say, are there any boys here? Somebody, in order to save their own loved ones, would have said, actually, we know who you're looking for. Because these shepherds told us about it. So I think in order to protect Jesus, it makes more sense that this story was kept close. And, and, and that's actually Jesus' M.O. There's a lot of times where he does a miracle for someone later on, and he goes, don't tell anyone about this yet. It's not time for everyone to know about this yet. So I think we have to look at who the shepherds most likely shared this news with. They found Jesus, and they told the people who they had some kind of relational connection with. And then what do we learn from the shepherds again? They go back to work. They go back to their lives. And then they would have shared this story rejoicing and praising and believing that God had done something incredible in their lives. We light the shepherd's candle to remind us that the fire of our joy in Jesus is meant to be shared. Whether you share that on a platform for millions of people to see or you share it with one person, all of that matters. All of that matters. Well, let's not think that if it was just in one house that that suddenly is not important. That's incredibly important that they shared with the people they were in front of. So the question for us is who do you personally know who does not know the good news about Jesus? Or who knows it, but you can tell they don't really understand it because it hasn't changed anything about their lives. The invitation would be, how how does that little kid song go? That you would let your light shine. Not going to hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. It's It's almost like we should sing a song like that, no? It's funny how... Our kids will remember that, and we don't. The invitation is to let your light shine. So the shepherds leave with joy. 
because they understood the historical moment that they were in. I, I think at least to some certain degree they would have understood when the angel said Messiah, oh, we know that word. We know what that means. They understood that this was the culmination of a promise that generations of people had been looking forward to. And we today in 2021, we get to have joy because Jesus has already fulfilled all of the promises that for them he was just beginning to fulfill. And because of Jesus, we get to live in the promises that were given to people who were alive before Jesus was born. Promises like the one we find in Zephaniah 3, which says, Sing for joy, daughter of Zion. Shout loudly, Israel. Be glad and celebrate with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. We would apply this to ourselves and we would say, we, we would say Sing for joy, people of life, church. Shout loudly, people of the Antelope Valley. Be glad and celebrate with all your heart, children of God. The Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is among you. You need no longer fear harm. On that day, it will be said in Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing, which, which means that, that God is saying, I will take every opportunity to express my rejoicing and my love over you. It will be quiet and it will be loud. It will be in shouts and it will be in songs. So we remember for the shepherds, this baby was the beginning of the fulfillment of a prophecy and we know today that Jesus is the king of kings who came to save the world, who fulfilled every single promise about the Messiah, and that we are still today invited to worship this king. Amen? Amen. But if I'm honest, if I'm not scheduled to preach about that, my mind, if I'm completely telling you the truth, my mind tends to skip over these dudes. The shepherds are, are kind of just like extras in my brain. I, I kind of remember as a kid vaguely thinking they were just there so that we could see other people were there so that this was a real story that happened. Like, like they're just there to add some layer of humanity to the nativity scene. And I think as, as I reflect on why I might ignore the shepherds, I think that I ignore them because I actually relate to them so much, but I secretly wish that I was the magi. Maybe not so secretly. I, I want to play a different role. I, I want to insert myself into a really important role in this story. But the shepherds actually are us. Common. Filthy. Completely unworthy of the news about Jesus. And yet invited anyway. The problem with forgetting or overlooking the shepherds is that we miss the clearest chance to place ourselves in the Christmas story. So when we feel common, or when this story feels common, or it feels like we're just in the waiting and we don't know where our joy is, we must remember that this helpless child really was born and he really did save the world. We light the shepherd's candle to remind ourselves that the joy of Christmas belongs to us. We feel so common or when we're waiting and the waiting gets hard 
maybe we can reflect on the way that Peter encourages us to respond to our, our salvation. And I, I'm, I'm about to read to you something that is going to feel like a little bit of a lengthy text, but this is how I want to begin to end our time together. Peter, somebody who lived during and then on the other side of the saving work of Jesus, he wrote about it like this in 1 Peter, starting in verse 3. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is because it is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter is writing on the other side of the, not just the Christmas story, the Easter story. He's, he's writing on the other side of salvation. He says, now we live with great expectation. After years and generations, Jesus comes. 30 years, not much happens. Then all of a sudden, boom, we're saved. And he says, now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So we're still in a waiting game, but we've got great expectation. And then Peter would offer us some marching orders here. He says, so be truly glad. We might, we might interpret this in the context of having lit the candle of the shepherds today by saying Peter would tell us, so rejoice, which is the outward expression of the awareness that you have, which we call having joy. What do you do when you have joy? You rejoice. So be truly glad. So rejoice. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you may have to endure many trials. Peter, don't talk like this. We just want the good stuff. Okay, well, let's be honest. He says this. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while, what, it, what does he say? There is wonderful joy ahead. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is by testing as fire tests and purifies gold. Uh, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Peter goes on. He's not done. We're not done yet. He says, you love him even though you have never seen him. This is where we really relate to everyone but the shepherds, right? They got to see him in the flesh. The disciples got to see him in the flesh. And Peter is saying to us, I know you haven't seen him in the flesh, but you love him anyway. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets, and I would say the shepherds wanted to know more about when they prophesied and shepherded about this glorious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that this message was not for themselves but for you. They knew. They were being told about something they would not get to experience in this life. 
and you have experienced it in this life. You have not seen him, but your faith in him has changed something about you. You might feel like a shepherd sometimes, but you know the story, and the story has changed the world, and hopefully the story has changed you. And Peter ends this off by saying, and now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. And so, my friends, as we light the joy candle, as we come in to the consumerism capital of the calendar, can we resist complacency in our Christmas celebration? Can we get a little bit joyful because we have the joy of the Lord? Now, I am not asking you to exercise some kind of fake expression of happiness because it's Christmas time and you're really hoping that you get something that you wanted on your Christmas list. I am inviting you to remember that you were on your way to eternal separation from God and because Jesus was born and he lived a sin-free life and he died on a cross and on the third day he raised from the dead, we are saved people. Saved from eternal separation from God. We get to live in his presence forever. And what would it look like for you to live searching for Jesus in every single moment? Knowing that your status in the world is irrelevant because your status in Christ is saved, redeemed. Sons and daughters of the most high God. So I searched for God and I found him. And I'll search for him again tomorrow and know that I will be found in him. And with with everything that I have in me, I will look for opportunities, not just to search, but to share. This is what it looks like to live the joy of the Lord. Can, Can I just, can I, can I ask you, can I beg you, can I implore you not to go through the motions for another day? When we sing songs at Life Church, we have a saying, we say, free people worship. We have been set free. This is not a commercial. This is not a marketing ploy. This is God's plan to change and save, redeem the world. And so I'm going to ask you a question at the end that I asked you in the middle. What are you willing to walk away from to live and experience the joy of the Lord. No one is telling you, no one whose opinion is, is, is accurate is going to tell you that walking away will be easy. But there is a blessing of provision on the other side. I don't know what that will look like for you. I'm not here to make you some kind of Pentecostal promise. I'm just telling you what God told us. Walk away and you will be found in me. Walk to me and you will be provided for. You will be loved. You will be safe. You will find true life for all that other stuff that is sucking you dry and you think is giving you momentary happiness. It is not, and we all know it, and you know it, and God knows it, and his arms are wide open for those who would come on the search for him. Have you received the good news about the shepherd? Have you searched and have you found him? 
Are you giving him your entire life and all of your praise? Are you enjoying the joy of your salvation? I'd like to invite you as we close to pray again the prayer that Sam led us in at the beginning of this portion of our gathering. Sam led us in a prayer that goes like this. We would say this, God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to be the savior of the world. Help us to receive the good news of his arrival by the signs that you have given us in your word and with the same joy as the shepherds. Help us, Lord, to recognize the presence of Jesus in our lives. Jesus, we come today to worship you, not simply as a child, but as our king. Amen.